You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. If you got your Bible this morning, let me invite you to turn to Psalm 90 this morning, the 90th Psalm. We are in a series this summer. We're looking at the Psalms. We're calling it Summer in the Psalms. And this morning we're going to be in Psalm 90. I told the earlier service that I, um, I continue to be amazed. I don't know why, as long as I have walked with God and has see, have seen his works, I don't know why I'm continually so amazed, but it, it does amaze me still how God uh, goes before us. Like we find ourselves some days in a situation faced with something that we don't feel prepared for. We feel like that we're just thrown into something where we're over our head. We're overwhelmed. We just don't know what to do. But then as we stop and reflect on the moment, we see that God was already there. And God has already prepared us. And I really feel that way this morning with the psalm that we're going to look at, given the circumstances, given the things that have happened in our church family within just the last 24 hours, and just in recent days, I feel like the Lord has prepared us for this psalm. He's prepared this psalm for us. I want you to know that I didn't change anything this morning as far as what I was in, intending to preach, that this was already in my heart, already had spent time with this passage, but I feel like it's just right where God would have us to be this morning. I believe that God has a word for us today out of Psalm 90. I'll give you just some background to this psalm. It's a psalm that is written by Moses. If you look in the little description before you actually get into the psalm, if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, it tells us that this is a psalm that was written by Moses. You remember the story of Moses. Moses was the man that God raised up, sent back into Egypt. He'd been in Egypt early in his life, and then he left Egypt around the age of 40. He spent 40 more years on the backside of the desert tending sheep for his father-in-law, and then God meets with him in a burning bush, and God calls Moses to go back to Egypt because God is going to set his people, the Israelites, free from the bondage of slavery that they are in there. It was there at the burning bush that I really believe Moses met God. It's where his relationship with God really started. And God revealed himself to Moses, and not only, not only did he reveal himself to Moses, but he told Moses, I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. This is what I want to do with you. And so he sends him back to Egypt. God works through him. Uh, finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the Israelites go. Moses brings them out of their bondage. He leads them uh, across the desert, through the wilderness, brings them all the way to the edge of the promised land, the land that pro God had promised to give to his people. And when they get there, what happens? Moses sends 12 spies into the land, not to see whether or not the people could take the land, because God's already promised to give it to them. God has said to them, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to drive out all of your enemies. This land is yours. I'm going to give it to you. The reason for the spies were for them to go in and come back and bring a report of just how wonderful the land really was. That it was everything that God had promised. And when they came back, that's exactly what they said. The land is more than we could possibly imagine. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that God said it was going to be. We've never seen anything like this before. It's the best land ever. But there are giants there. 
There are people there living in the land, and we know that if we try to cross over and go in and take possession of that land, they're going to slaughter us. They're going to kill us. There's no way that we can do this. And so the people decided not to listen to God, but instead they were going to rebel. They were going to stay put right where they were. And when they made that decision, God pronounced a curse, a judgment upon them. And he said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Those of you who are adults who were a part of this decision not to go into the land, you're going to wander around in, the, in this wilderness for 40 more years until every one of you die. And then when you've died off, I'm going to raise up a new generation, and that generation is going to go in, and they're going to take possession of the land. I'm going to give it to them. Now, it's believed that Moses wrote this psalm during that period of time when the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness aimlessly just waiting to die, waiting for a new generation to rise up. And what this psalm is, it's actually more of a prayer than it is anything else. This is a prayer that Moses prayed over his people. I believe, specifically, it's a prayer that Moses was praying over the next generation, the generation that God was going to raise up. And if you want to understand the key to this psalm, the key verse in the psalm to help you understand the message of the psalm, it's found in verse 12. And here's what Moses prays. He prays to God and he says, teach us to number our days, to understand how precious life really is and how short it is. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, his prayer is that God's people would not wander around in the wilderness of life just wasting time and wasting opportunities, missing out on the future and the life that God desires to give to them. That's what Moses prayed for his people. It should be the prayer that we're praying for ourselves this morning. It should be a prayer that you're praying over your own life. God, teach me to number my days that I might live with a heart of wisdom. It's a prayer that we should be praying over our children, those of us who are parents, praying over our grandchildren, those of us who are grandparents. It should be a prayer that we are praying over the next generation and every generation that is coming up, that we would not simply just wander around aimlessly through life, wasting time, but rather that we would learn to live our life wisely. And in this psalm, Moses describes for us how to better do that, how to live wisely, how to live your life with eternity in mind. Let's read it together. Psalm 90, beginning with verse 1. Would you stand with me in honor of our Lord and his word this morning? Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up, in the morning it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening it's cut down and it withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your countenance. 
For all our days have passed away in your wrath, and we finish our years like a sigh. The days of our years, or days of our lives, are like 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For soon it's cut off and we fly away. And who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So here's the verse. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God bless your word. Again, I feel so inadequate and so weak this morning to preach in a moment like this, at a season like this, with all that's going on. But God, I pray that your strength would be made perfect in my weakness. I pray that you would give us a word today that we all need to hear. May we receive it. May we believe it. May we live it. Not just for our good, but for the glory of our God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. So I want you to notice how the psalm begins. In verse 1, Moses prays and he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. The word for dwelling place there literally means home. Moses is saying that regardless of what generation you belong to, listen to this, regardless of what generation you belong to, no matter how young or old you are, no matter what time in history you are living, one thing remains constant. The same is for everyone, that God is our home. We are only at home when we are in relationship to God. See, what Moses wants us to understand is that you and I were made by God. And we were made for God. We were created to know him. To live in relationship with him. To walk in fellowship with him in this life. Wow. I know some of us are church people, and so we hear this a lot. This is not something new that's being thrown on you this morning, the idea that you were created for a relationship with God. But, but if you ever lose the wow factor in that, something is wrong. God has created you to have a relationship with himself. If that doesn't just blow you away this morning, if you're not just overwhelmed by that this morning, if you're not completely amazed by that this morning, then you simply do not understand who God is and how great God is. And Moses, in this psalm, tries to help us figure that out a little bit better. Moses says, listen, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He reminds us that God, the God who calls us into relationship with himself, was here before the mountains were formed. He is the God who was here before anything else existed. The Bible tells us that he was here before all things, that he is the creator of all things. It's by him and because of him that all things exist and that all things are held together. 
In other words, God is not only the one who created the universe, the galaxies, the planets, everything in them. God is the God who created you as well. But he created you different than everything else. In that he created you in his own image. He created you to have a relationship with himself. You are the crown of God's creation, if you would. Even though everything that God has made is spectacular and wonderful and beautiful and glorious, there is nothing that compares to you. Because you were made in the image of God. Only you were created. Only mankind, only humanity was created to have a relationship to God. To be able to know the one who has created us. And God desires that for us. God desires to make himself known to us. He's done that in creation. That's why when you walk outside, when you study creation, when you look at creation, there is no way that you can possibly come up with the idea that all of this happened by chance. It is clear when you look at the complexity of creation and everything that's involved in creation and just how fearfully and wonderfully we are made that there had to be someone behind it all. And the answer is God. God is the one who did all of this. There never was a time ever when God was not. He was before all things. The God who is from everlasting to everlasting. The God who has no beginning and no end is the God who created you. He created you to have a relationship with himself. That's why he's given us his word, because creation alone is not enough for us to know who this God is or to be able to relate to him properly. All creation tells us is that he's there. That there's a God out there somewhere, but he's given us his word as his special revelation to us to tell us, okay, creation declares the glory of God. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. I am clearly here, but I want you to know me. And so I'm going to tell you how that's possible. I want to give you my word, which explains to you not only where you came from, but it tells you why you are here. Have you ever wondered why the Bible begins this way, in the beginning, God? Why does the Bible start that way? Because the thing that's on every person's heart and every person's mind at some point in this life is why in the world am I here? How did I get here? What is the reason and the meaning for my existence? And God wants you to know, listen to me, that you're not here by chance. You're not here by accident. You didn't just happen upon this planet. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God is the one who has given you life. And the whole purpose of your life is to know Him. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that we were made for God. But the Bible also tells us that there is something that has come between us and God, something that separates us all from God, and that something is called sin. The Bible tells us in the early pages of Genesis that we were made by God in the image of God, and yet in the Garden of Eden, man made a decision to rebel against God. The first man, the first woman, sinned against God, and when they did, sin entered the world. And not only did sin enter the world, but the curse of sin then infected all the rest of humanity so that all of their descendants would inherit that curse and live under that curse of sin. And with sin also came something called death. And Moses wants us to understand that. And that's why Moses tells us 
after declaring why it is that we're here and who it is that we're here for, he tells us in verse 3 that, God, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. Now, when he talks about returning to destruction, that's the New King James Version. That's the version that I read from, that I preach from. Some of you have a different translation, and your translation may read this way. You return man to dust. That's probably a more accurate translation. Because what Moses is telling us, listen, is that, yes, God created us. And when God created man, how did he create man? The Bible says he took, he took out of the dust of the earth and he formed man in his own image. What happens when a person dies? A person returns to dust. And so what Moses is talking about here is he's talking about death. He's talking about because sin is in the world and because sin has come between man and God, so has death. Death has come into the world. And death now is something that we fear, and death is something that is our enemy, but it's something that all of us have to face. Now, we don't like to think about death, but death is just a reality. And what Moses is saying is this. He's saying that, listen, death is going to come sooner than you think. It's going to get here quicker than you realize. Now, you think you've got this long life in front of you, and you've got all of these years, and it's just going to go on and on and on forever, but that's not really how it goes. Your life is more like this, is that you come into the world with nothing. And you live a few years, and you, yes, you may go to school and get an education, and you may go out and get a job, and you may, you may get married and have a family, and you bring children in the world, you may have grandchildren, but then you start getting old, and then before you know it, you're right back where you started from. You came into the world with nothing, and then you die, and when you leave, what do you leave with? You leave with nothing. And then everything that you have accomplished and everything that you've achieved that is of this world, when you die, guess what? It stays right here. Long after you're gone, you don't take any of it with you at all. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? The truth is that we are all born dying. And though we don't like to think about death, death is something that stares us all in the face and it's something that we all have to deal with much sooner than what we want to think. That's why he says in verse 5 that soon we'll be carried away like a flood. Soon life will just be washed away. Like floodwaters rushing in. Like you think you've got plenty of time to make preparation and all of a sudden, boom, it's here, it's gone. Life is just, it's over. He says it's like a dream. You go to sleep. You have this dream. It could be the most beautiful, wonderful, glorious dream you ever imagined, but then suddenly you wake up and it's over. And then a few days later, you can't even remember what you dreamed. It's just in the past. It's forgotten. That's life. He says it's like the grass. You wake up in the morning, the, the dew waters the grass. Grass is green. There's little sprigs of light that seem to be popping up from the earth. But then... The blazing hot sun comes out in the afternoon. It scorches the earth. It dries up all of the dew. It burns up all of the grass. And in the evening, the grass is turned brown. It's death. And he says, that's life. Like James, in, in the book of James, in the end of the New Testament, life is like a vapor. It's in front of you, and then all of a sudden, it's just gone, just like that. Now, I remember being a young person. This room was full of young people, people in college. I was there not long ago. 
and you think you've got your whole life in front of you, and you think you've got these eons to live on this earth, but I'm telling you, it's going to go by just like that. Back earlier this year, my high school had a reunion, brought back the 1982-83 team at Carlisle County High School to celebrate our state tournament run back in 82-83. I played on a team that went 40-4 and that year, and the four losses that we had were to nobody in our region, nobody in our district. We lost to some very tough competition. In fact, we lost to the number one team in the nation that year at a tournament in Louisville, Baltimore Dunbar, that had NBA stars on that roster that we played against. We played them close at the first half, lost by double digits, but, but, but we gave them a game. I mean, we were a great team. And when we got to the end of the year, we made this big run into the, into the, in the tournament season. We won our district. We won our region. And then we went to the state tournament. We're just a little bitty school. Now, I don't know how, I know how Tennessee does it, and I don't know where you come from. But in Kentucky, it's not class divisions. And so you don't have all the single-A schools that play all the single-A schools for a championship, and the double-A schools play all the double-A schools. In Kentucky, in basketball, you're just thrown into a pot, and it's every man for himself. And so you've got single-A schools playing against five-A schools. And, and at the end of it all, it's the best team that wins. Best team in the, in the state wins. Our team, single A, played against a 5A school from Lexington, Lexington Henry Clay, in the state tournament championship. We went to the triple overtime, lost in triple overtime on a last-second buzzer-beater shot. Guy just tipped one in at the end, lost 35-33, but it was incredible, incredible run. Something, it was, it's like something out of Hoosiers. I was on that team. They brought us all back. They wanted to recognize us for that huge run. And so here we are, right here. Here we are. Now, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm not the guy in the middle. I'm the guy over here. See number 23? That's me. If you've ever wondered why Michael Jordan wanted to wear 23 when he got to college, this is it right here. Mike wanted to be like Mike. That's just it. That's where it all started. LeBron was late to the party. It was, all me and, it was all me and MJ in the beginning, all right? And so, number 23, look at that guy. Young guy. Man, look at those, look at those beautiful locks of hair on his head, man. I got another picture. Throw another picture up there. We were on the cover of USA Today. Our, our school and what we accomplished was so incredible that USA Today came to our school, did, a, did an article on us. We were on the front page of USA Today. This is me, not, not the guy at the, at the front with the basketball, but you go down five, and that's me standing there with my hands behind my back. That's me. I made the cover of USA Today. Your pastor is famous. <laughs> and nobody remembers that stuff except those of us who clipped it out. But when that first picture that was up there, that's how I remember those guys. It's been forever since I've seen them. That's how I remember them. I show up at this reunion. We all walk out on the court. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, who are these old guys? I mean, it's, it's, like, you know, it's like somebody let us out of the old folks' home. Here we are, showed up at a basketball game. I, I, listen, honestly, I mean, you think I'm kidding. In some ways, it feels like yesterday. I mean, I remember things so vividly. It's just right there. Then in other ways, it seems like that was ages ago. Where did my life go? I'm 55 years old now. And I can remember 
sitting where you guys are sitting at the very age that you're at right now, thinking that I had my whole life in front of me, and it's like I went to sleep, I woke up, and where's my life? Where's it gone? That's what he's talking about here. But the question is, that, listen, what, what happens then? I mean, when, when you get to the end of life, when, when death finally comes, what, what then? Is that it? Is it over then? That's, some people think that. But that's not true. Because even though you're not eternal in that you have not always been, there was a moment in the time when, you, when your life began, when you came into existence, you're not eternal like God. You were created for eternity. In other words, now that you're here, you're here. And you're going to spend eternity somewhere. This life is going to end one day. It's going to come to its conclusion. But what's next? You know what God says? God says we've got two options. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And the truth is, what we all deserve because of our sin is hell. And Moses talks about that. In verse 7, he says, We have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we're terrified. We have set our iniquities before you. In other words, everything that we've ever done in this life is in front of you. You've seen everything, even our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. In other words, you haven't gotten by with anything. Oh, your parents may not know. Even your buddies may not know. God knows. God knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything that you've ever done wrong. He knows everything you've ever thought wrong, everything you've ever said that's wrong. God knows everything about you. And what Moses is saying is that what we deserve, because you know everything about us, what we deserve because of our sin is your wrath. He says we finish our years like a side. The days of our years or days of our lives are like 70 years. If by reason of strength they're 80 years, and yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for soon it's cut off, and then we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. You know what he's saying? He's saying one day your life is going to come to an end. And if you live your life without God, you're going to get to the end of your life and have wasted the whole thing. You'll miss out on the reason for your existence, the reason why you were created, the reason why you exist. You're going to miss the whole thing. You're going to live your life for this world, for the things of this world. You're going to get to the end of your life. And when you get to the end, having lived your life without God, it's going to be like this great big sigh, like, <sighs> is that it? Is that all there was? And the answer is no. That's all there was for you here. But now you've entered into eternity. Seventy or eighty years on this world, on this earth. Seventy years if you're, if, if, you know, if you're in pretty decent health. Eighty years if you're above average. Some people stretch it out a little bit further, maybe get into their 90s. I did the funeral of a 99-year-old lady yesterday. I ain't got a shot at making it to 99. I'm just telling you right now. There's no way I'm going to make it there. But then when it's over, it's over. This life is finished, and then you step out into eternity. And what Moses is saying is that when you step out into eternity without God, what you're facing, what you're looking at is the wrath of God, is that you're guilty of sin, 
God knows your sin. God must judge your sin because he's holy and he's just and he can't just let it go. And God's going to judge your sin. And so he says at the end, he says in the end, who could stand that? Who could withstand? Knowing how great and glorious you are, knowing how powerful God is, how mighty God is, if God was to unleash his wrath against sin, what in the world would that look like? And Moses said, we all should be terrified of that thought. Terrified of an eternity without God. Listen, if you, if you think hell is no big deal, you don't understand hell. Hell is real. It's a place of suffering, of torment, of isolation, of separation. It's not a party. You don't hang out with your friends down there. You're isolated and separated from everything and everyone, including God, forever and ever and ever and ever, suffering the punishment for your sin. And Moses says, I know that's exactly what I deserve, but praise God this morning, God is offering you what you don't deserve, and that is life. And he's offering you life through his son, Jesus Christ, because even though you deserve hell, God sent Jesus into the world to take your sin on himself, to suffer the hell that you deserve on the cross. He raised him up from the dead so that through him, through Jesus, you could be forgiven of your sins, reconciled to God, and have a life that is new and abundant and everlasting. And that's why Moses says, God, please, please help us look at life differently. When he talks about how a day with uh, a thousand years with God is like a day, he's saying that God doesn't see things the way we see things. God doesn't live in time the way we live in time. God lives in eternity. God's seen the end from the beginning, and everything that God does, God does with eternity in mind. And so even though things that we're talking about this morning don't make any sense to us, it's all confusing to us, God has seen the end from the beginning, and I trust by God's power and by his word that God is somehow going to take something that doesn't make sense, and he's going to bring something glorious out of it because God can. And God is working in the light of eternity, not in time. And what Moses is saying is, God, help us to see life that way. Help us not to get stuck in the moment where we live with only what's in front of us in mind, but help us to see the big picture, to understand why we were made, why we are here, what is coming. Help us to live with heaven on our hearts and heaven in our minds. And that should be what everyone in this room desires to do. Now, the question is, how do we do that? Real quick, let me give you two things. Number one. If you're going to live with eternity in mind, then it begins by looking to Christ and receiving God's grace. Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days. And right after that, he says, return, O Lord, return to us. Have compassion on your servants. He's acknowledging his sin, the sinfulness of his people. He acknowledges what they deserve because of sin. And his prayer is this, God, don't leave us in our sin. Well, we're separated from you. Have compassion on us. Have mercy on us. We know what we deserve, but don't give us that, please. Show us mercy. Give us grace. Please give us what we don't deserve. And that's your forgiveness. And I'll tell you, praise God, he has done that for us. Through his son and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. I can tell you this morning that though your sins, like my sin, are great, God's grace is so much greater. 
all that is necessary for our sins to be forgiven forever. Christ has accomplished and provided for us through his cross. All is left for us to do is to receive what has already been done. And we do that through repentance and faith, by turning from our sins and putting our trust in Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Let me ask you, have you done that today? Have you put your trust in Jesus? I want to make it clear, I'm not asking you to join this church today. We've got a lot of guests, a lot of visitors in this room. I'm not asking you to join our church because you can join our church and still go to hell. Joining the church doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus is the one who gets you to heaven. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior who died for your sins? Who suffered the punishment that you deserve so that you could have the life and the hope and the future that you don't deserve? If you've not done that, I beg you to do that today. Don't, they, don't make the mistake of walking out of here and putting that off. And here's why I beg you not to make that mistake. Number one is because tomorrow may not come. You may not live to see tomorrow. Death is no respecter of persons, and we have been reminded of that a lot here lately in our own church family, in our own community. Young people die every day just like old people. Do you know that? I've been in ministry long enough to realize that it's not only old people who pass away. Young people pass away. I've heard of people in the prime of life, people who are young, athletic, just dropping dead like that. Accidents happen every day. We live in a broken world. Bad things happen. And sometimes bad things happen unexpectedly to people that you would never dream it would ever happen to, but it does. It's part of living in a broken and fallen world. And listen, here's what God has said to us. God didn't tell you when you were going to die, but he did tell you that you were going to die, and he told you how to make preparations for when you die, and that is to give your life to Jesus. Now, if you know you're going to die, and you know what's waiting for you on the other side of death, and you know that your only hope of escaping judgment is to put your faith in Jesus Christ, then why would you not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? It would be the most foolish thing ever to walk out of here today and say, you know what, I'm going to risk my eternity for a few more years or a few more moments of pleasure and just take my chances with God. That would be foolish today. I'm telling you, that would be foolish today. And you may think you have forever, but you may not have tomorrow. And so if you're lost today and you've never trusted in Jesus, you ought to give your life to him today. Here's the second reason why you ought to do it today. is because it won't be easier tomorrow, it will be tougher tomorrow. If you think you'll feel the same urgency to trust Christ tomorrow that you feel today, you're probably wrong. And here's why. It's because every time you say no to God's invitation of grace and to put your trust in Jesus, your heart becomes a little more hardened in sin. And you become a little bit more numb to the Spirit's call in your life to put your trust in Jesus. That's why the Bible says, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But today is the day of salvation. If God's calling, it means God's calling now. If you feel an urgency in this moment to give your life to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't hope that it's going to be there tomorrow. Know that God's calling now, and you need to answer. You need to give your life to Jesus today. And the third reason why you ought to give your life to Christ today is because every day without Christ is a waste. Do you know that? 
Every day without Jesus is just a waste. You may not look at it that way, but you will one day. Every day without Christ is a waste. Which brings me to the second thing I want you to, to understand is this. If you're going to make the most of your time, you don't just need to look to Christ for grace, but you need to live for Christ and experience God's goodness in your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the time and the years that God has given you chasing after the things of this world and living for the things of this world when you could be living for Christ and experiencing the beauty and the glory of God in your own life. So why Moses says in verse 14, he says, Satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Satisfy us early. You know what that means? Early in life. Satisfy us early in life that we may rejoice all of our days. I'm going to close real simple. Let me, let, me, let me just tell you this. I've been, a, I've been a pastor a long time. I've talked to a lot of people. I have never had one true follower of Jesus ever walk up to me and say, you know what? I wish I had, you know, following Jesus, I mean, that, that's great and everything, but I really wish I had waited a little longer to do that in my life. I really wish I'd spent more years of my life in sin. I really wish I'd spent more years of my life chasing after this or that or living for this or that before I gave my life to him and got serious about my I've never heard anybody ever say that to me. Nobody's ever said that to me. But I can't tell you how many people I have talked to who have said to me, boy, I sure wish I had given my life to Jesus a lot sooner than I did. And I'll tell you, listen, standing in front of you right now is one of those people. I gave my life to Christ. I wasted my college years. I, I, that's why I love college ministry. That's why I give a lot of my time to college ministry, because, because I know what my college years were like. And I did a lot of good things in college. I played basketball in college. I accomplished a lot of things on the court, had a great career. But there's so much of my college life that I look back on, it was just a waste I have so much regret, so much shame from those years in my life because I was living for me. And it wasn't until after I got out of college, my mom passed away, and I was faced with these harsh realities of death and eternity that I really came to a point of brokenness and gave my life to Jesus. But I did that in my early 20s. In my early 20s, I gave my life to Christ. And I'm telling you that even though I gave my life to Jesus when I was in my early 20s, I wish I had done it when I was a teenager. I wish I had done it years before because I wasted all of those years of my life that I can't get back. And that's the way it is for everyone who lives a day in their life without Christ. It's a waste. And if you're sitting here this morning and you are thinking about what you have to give up in order to follow Jesus, what you're going to miss if you today decide to follow Jesus, if that's what's on your mind, stop thinking about that. What you need to be considering and what you need to think about is what you are sure to miss if you don't follow Jesus. Following Christ will be the most wonderful decision you'll ever make in your life. Moses talks about the beauty of the Lord being revealed to us. He talks about God's purpose and God's work that he wants to do in us and through us. And you, I'm telling you, you don't want to miss that. That the God of all creation, the God who is from everlasting to everlasting, loves you, cares about you, has a purpose for you, wants to use your life to show his beauty and his glory. Who would want to miss out on something like that? 
So God, teach us to number our days. Give us a heart of wisdom. Amen? If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org. Thank you.